That's the only way to come out when you got a castle theme. Okay, should we do it through the second and third services as well, or was that a big fail? I told them, my only concern, that might be the only thing they remember about this message. But it did occur to me just moments before I did it, I said, you know, Doug, leave that open because by opening the castle, we reveal the cross. Amen? You can't see it over there, but those in the middle can. And that's what we're trying to do. And really, this is sort of a good little illustration because we pick it up in our study of in the beginning, our study of Genesis, in chapter 9, where Noah emerges from the ark, uh, not to see a group of people but to see a new world. Literally, when Moses, Moses, here I go. Thank you. Noah came out of the ark. When he came out of the ark, literally old things had passed away. And all things had become what? So here you have an illustration right out of the chute. But let's pick it up. Just the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah. And his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, formerly they were you know, vegetarians, I give you everything. They're meat eaters now. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. From man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. So here again is Noah. The flood has subsided. The ark is on the top of a rat and the mountain that is. And uh, he's coming out. And as he does so, God blesses him. He blesses Noah. And old things passed away, all things have become new. And with that, God blesses him with a new way to look at virtually everything. We're going to have the Lord's table today. And this is a good reminder to us that when one comes to know Jesus as their Savior, and Jesus is the greater ark, right? God blesses you with a with a brand new outlook on everything. And the Apostle Paul said exactly this to the Corinthians in the more famous, you know, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. The verse preceding that says these words. So then from now on, we know no one from an outward point of view. Even though we have known Christ from such a point of view, now we do not know him in that way any longer. In other words, salvation changes everything. It changes the way we look at everything. It changes the way we look at everyone. And a little disclaimer here, just from the reading of the text, 
Some of you know that I'm going to make some comments this morning that may not sit well with some of you. Okay, hang with me. If we disagree, we disagree. Disagree with God. Don't disagree with me. It doesn't have to change our relationship. Besides, it'll give you something to fight over at lunchtime. In Jesus Christ, we are given a new look at everything. As Noah faced the new world, we too face the world with a brand new perspective once we come to Jesus. Christians talk about having a Christian worldview. What is that? A Christian worldview is you looking at the world, the same world everybody else looks at. It's just that you have different eyes than they do. We have the eyes of God from the Word of God. So Noah's going to get three different looks here, okay? And this is sort of illustrative of everything, and so let's get into it. He's, he's given a new way to look at the family. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This, he basically brackets this passage with this. He says it in verse 7. Actually, this is the fourth time this expression in one form or another is given in, in Genesis. So fill the world with what? Well, he's going to fill the world with sinners because that's what sinners beget. They beget sinners, right? Can I get an amen? Everybody on this world, every kind and every character of people on the face of this earth come out of these eight people that emerged from the ark. And what does God say? He says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. That is, have babies. Have lots and lots and lots of babies. That's how the earth gets filled the church has always gotten a little nervous whenever I land on a procreation text. Hey, there's the guy who had 10 kids. What's he going to tell us now? I remember preaching on this at Holmes Baptist Church many years ago, and the next year I think we had like nine extra kids. No insinuation there. But let's make something really, really clear. Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. They're not a curse, they're a blessing. Psalm 127, Psalm 128, and a myriad of other texts say that our children should be looked upon differently than the world looks on them. And abortion would be absolutely out of the question. It would be so far away from the minds of, of believers in olden times. Unthinkable. I mean, my... My aged, bless your heart, my aged mother-in-law made a visit to our family recently. And, she, and she's, she's in her 80s now, and it's not all there all the time. All she saw was babies, babies, babies. And I think she thought they all came from one woman. <laughs> I mean, we have come today, have we not, from congratulations, numbers. What is that number anyway? To seriously, another one? You're pregnant again? Knowing Jesus gives you a totally new way to look at your kids. Whether you have 10 or 7 or 5 or 2 or 1, thank God for your blessings. Thank God for your blessings. And they're yours not so that you can live vicariously through them so they can accomplish the things that you never did in business or education or sport. You know, everybody wants to become the superstar through their kids. 
Rather, treat them as treasures that you raise to trust, know, love, honor, and obey God and to spread his fame in this world. That's why we have them. They're breakable, so handle them with care. How do you look at your children? Has Jesus given you a new look? That's what he does. How about a new way to look at creation and health? Well, you never thought you'd hear this from the pulpit, huh? Because it does say in chapter 9 here, these, I mean, their diet has been changed. They're not herbivores anymore. <laughs> They're not vegetarians. We get to start eating meat, he says. Adam was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. And Noah was a hunter. The animals out of the ark would no longer just come to him. In fact, God says they're going to fear. We see that animals fear us by and large, don't they? The prohibition about blood here has to do with raw meat. And you don't do that because God is a respecter of life and the life of the flesh is in the blood, right? Isn't that what the Bible says, right? The post-flood world would be meat eaters. And by the way, Jesus... Peter and Paul all affirmed that there's no need to have a prohibition on certain foods. Foods, according to 1 Timothy, are to be received with gratitude and they're sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And if you don't believe me, here's the text. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy or sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Have you ever read that? Well, there you go. So let me just say this, when it comes to special diets and fads and special foods and the movement to cleanse ourselves from all the excesses of processed foods that we bring to the table, literally. Are you getting nervous? I think there's something good in it. I think there's something refreshing to healthy, clean eating. I'm I'm certain that Processed foods, per se, are not helping our health and probably contributing to some of the very things that, you know, the food advocates uh, of various, you know, places tell us. Although the science is usually a little skewed depending on who's looking at it, right? Isn't that true? On the other hand, I think Regular exercise is a good thing. I get regular, I exercise regularly just so that I can eat the bad foods that I eat. (laughs) Especially if you have a chosen profession like mine where you're not getting a workout every day just by your profession. Because in Bible times, everybody was working out. It was an agrarian type of a society. I remember running into Art Cross. I don't know if Art's here this morning. There he is. Art's in his 90s. Been a leader in this church for years. I ran it. You know, he owned, he owned a place with several acres right on the corner here, just a mile or so away. And I, you know, he's always working out there, you know, cutting his lawn, sighing the grass, and whatever else he was doing, you know. And I said, Art, why don't you let us come and, and help you? You're almost 90 years old. You're out here slaving away in your yard. Why don't you let us help you? I'll never forget what he said. Uh, I, I would, but Pastor, this keeps me out of the gym. The old man had something going there, didn't he? 
Listen, I'm going to tell you this before we move on to the next, I, the next point. I have a concern, I have a question, and I have a word. Okay? Are you ready? Here they are. I have a concern. My concern for those of you who are major food advocates and whatnot, you know, you're just, you know, you're just passionate about what you eat, what you don't eat, what you, how you, this and that. Here's my concern. My concern is that your great passion becomes your great idol. It's the end all the life. It's the end all of your life. Looking good, feeling good, right? That's my concern. It's an idol, or it could be. I have a question. What's your goal? What is your goal? Is it good health? Great. I think that's a great idea because good health allows you to get around, move, do this, do that, do things that those who are out of shape, because of the, the bad way in which they treat themselves, they just can't do those things. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great goal. Is your goal a longer life? You have no guarantee of a longer life. How many of us have met people who are in stellar health and drop dead? I have a wife that dropped dead in stellar health. So don't tell me your goal is to live longer. You don't know. Our times are in his hands. Amen? Is your goal to avoid all illnesses? That's a pipe dream. Have you ever heard of genetics? I think we must stop making living to be 100 and healthy the goal of our lives. Your goal in life should be like you as a parent to your children, we talked about earlier, to know, love, honor, obey God, and to spread his fame. So, finally, I don't just have a concern and a question, but I have a word. You ready for the word? Please say yes. The word is moderation. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. Learn it. Practice it and enjoy the fruits. Salvation in Jesus. Adjust our eyes to look at everything differently and even to see our very lives in these very bodies, regardless of how long we get to use them as temporal. No one will, no one ever will stop the aging process. Except God. And one day, with new eyes, it'll go on forever. Amen? Lastly, a new look at government. Boy, nothing says minister to my heart like a quote like that, huh? So uh, he tells us things are going to change now when, when people start taking other people's lives. Remember, Cain killed Abel, but God didn't kill Cain. Lamech, in the next chapter, boasts about killing men, but there's no indication that God puts him to death. Now things have changed. In fact, he's, at a couple of times here, he indicates in verses 5 and 6 that this is where the inception of human government comes in. By man, verse 6, you know, he's going to shed the other person's blood. But here's the point. Life, I'm going to share some things that are going to sound counterintuitive, so hang in there with me. Life is so precious to God that he says at times it must be taken. 
in Exodus 21, if an animal killed a man, that animal was to be summarily executed. The death penalty, clearly seen here, is in reality, watch this, a statement to the sanctity of life. As counterintuitive as that may sound, it's true, that God would direct and demand a death penalty upon those who take the life of another individual intentionally is, in fact, a show of God's love for life itself. Please note, verse 5, the triple use of the word required. Did you notice it? Maybe you didn't. I'll read it again. He says, and from your life, blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for his life. Literally, the Hebrew says, I will demand. Look at this, from his fellow man. And the next verse, look at it, says, whoever sheds the blood of man, watch this, and I've underlined it, by man shall his blood be shed. This is called a, uh, if those of you who like literature, this is called a chiastic parallel. What, what you have is you have the, uh, the second half of the, of the sentence is the first half in reverse. And the reason for that is for emphasis and for memorization. So you'll, I mean, that's why, again, look at it. Whoever sheds man, the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's the chiastic parallelism, but you don't need to remember that. The point is that God places the responsibility of carrying out the punishment squarely into the hands of man. And this is where you have the rudimentary element of human government <coughs> coming into Scripture here. Later on in Romans chapter 13, the government is Rome. And we're told there, a servant of God, the servant of God, this is the government described as the servant of God, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Have you ever read that? God's reason for the death penalty, by the way, is not, is not primarily to be a deterrent. You can argue again, people skew the, the math, they skew the science on whether or not, you know, strong laws, you know, prohibit crime. Although, if you put to death a murderer, I'm pretty sure he won't kill anyone anymore. But that's not the reason God gives. So please note verse 6. He gives you the reason clearly. The reason is because God made man in his own image. Someone has said when someone kills another person, they kill God in effigy. To take another's life is to take the place of God himself, who gives life, and is to take it away, as Job said, right? God is the one. Our, our times are in what? His hands, not our own. So to take another's life or to even take one's own life is the ultimate attempt to circumvent the authority of God himself. And by the way, the alarming rate of suicides amongst youth is the natural result of a secular society that has attempted to stamp out the stamped-in image of God by not telling them about the living God. 
I mean, some of you saw the video this last week of Tiger Woods. It was pathetic, wasn't it? Uh, picked up for being under the influence of some drug. I mean, it's, I mean, I watched it. I was saddened, but I felt bad for him because he was like being totally exploited. But then I got thinking, thank you, God, for law enforcement that keep guys like this off the street. So here we have the rudimentary form of what we call government. And I know that many of you, listen, I know that many of you have a disdain for government. Are you ready for this? You shouldn't. God, in fact, has ordained human government. And while Acts 5.29 says we ought to obey God rather than men in times of conscience, conscience issues, like abortion and whatnot, that's, that doesn't give you a carte blanche to just say no to the government because it's not convenient for you. I remember in, in, in the summer of 1986, I was candidating for the very first, my very first pastor, and the law in Iowa had just been passed that you had to put a seatbelt on. And uh, so I'm, I'm with a deacon. I just candidated. I haven't, they haven't even voted on me yet. And I'm going to lunch with them after, on, on Sunday, and uh, I dutifully buckle up, and I said, hey, you going to buckle up? He said, that's the stupidest law ever, and I ain't buckling up. We drove a little bit further. I thought, okay, do I want to be the pastor here or not? I said, uh, I said, is this a conscience issue to you? Huh? I said, is this a conscience issue, or is it just an inconvenience? Because if it's just an inconvenience, stick that seatbelt on. He didn't. But we got along after that. We can't be using laws of inconvenience or things that just simply mess with our comfort as a means by which we say no to the government. That's just ridiculous. On the other hand, again, if you read Romans 13, you have, it's real simple. Government has two reasons. Punish the bad guys, praise the good guys. How's that for simplicity? That's it. Punish the bad guys, praise the good guys. And after all, he does not bear the sword in vain. Have you ever read that? That gets back to the whole capital thing. Here, here's the point I want, here's the thing I want to emphasize as we make our way to the Lord's table here. Um, the overall point of this message is not for you to be captivated by government or how many kids somebody has or you know, what kind of health. I mean, the point of this is that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes you from the inside out. I'm, I've met a lot of people in this world that want the external Jesus. They just don't want the internal Jesus. They like the looks of Christianity. They like, and some of you are like that. You like what Christianity does to people. That's a good look. I want that. I just don't want the internal Jesus who changes my heart, who changes my eyes, who changes everything about me. But I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes everything. He changes the way we look at everything. He changed me. And before I came to know Jesus, when I would come to the Lord's table, called the Mass, where I was raised, I saw this moment as a means to receive Jesus. Now, with eyes open, I see this as an act of worship because I know Jesus. 
That's a totally different perspective. Those are totally different eyes looking at the same thing. Some of you are here today, you're still, you like, you like the, you like the, give me the external Jesus? Yeah, I'm all over that. But the internal Jesus, that's the one that'll save you from your sins. You can make all kinds of changes in your life, and you'll still die and go to hell. If all you have is the external Jesus. But the one who died for you and rose again, if he comes to live in your life, if he comes to live in your heart, he'll change you from the inside out. And that's an outlook we all need. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you so much for the new perspective that Jesus gives to us. Inside out. New eyes. And we look at things differently. We've looked in your scripture to see how Noah was given a new look at a new world. A new look at family, at even things like your creation and health and even government and the way man works with man. We couldn't list all the things, Lord, that are changed as a result of our new look. But we thank you for the new creation in Jesus. I pray right now for those who are here, and I'm praying for you right now, so I'm praying for everyone here individually. If you're one of those individuals who would say, you know, the external Jesus looks really good, but there's no evidence of an internal Jesus in my life. I've never, I've never really repented from my heart of my sins. I've never recognized that he died for me personally, and I've never asked him to come into my heart and save me from my sins, believing he died and rose again. If that's you, and you're sorry for your sins, and you understand this now, and you want the internal Jesus that'll save you, why don't you just cry out to him from your heart right now and ask him to forgive you and save you? And Lord, I pray for those who do know Jesus here, who have Jesus within them, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we would take this morning as an eye adjustment. Perhaps we've been looking at things wrongly and not through the prism of your word. Help us to look at this world as you would have us to look at this world. Help, help us to look at this moment as you would have us look at this moment. Look to Jesus and make this an act of worship because of what he's already done. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.